happen. It's okay. I mean, how many times does that have to happen to me for me to be like, there's a problem and finally accept I'm a suicidal person. I may not ideate all the time, but I've tried to do it three times. there my name is sean and this is suicide noted on this podcast i talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories every year around the world millions millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it and when we do talk about it many of us including me we're not very good at it so one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with survivors i'm going to keep trying We are now more than two years in, and of course, I want to thank all the survivors who have joined me here on this podcast to talk so openly, so candidly, and everybody who listens. Thank you. I'd also like to thank our supporters. We have a few on Patreon, and we have a few that have helped us out with a one-time contribution. I really appreciate that. There are links in the show notes if you would like to contribute. There's also a few ways you can reach out to us if you are a suicide attempt survivor or you want to share with us a comment or a question or something else, hello at suicidenoted.com, Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And there is another link in the show notes if you'd like to leave us a recorded message. We really like hearing your feedback, your thoughts, your ideas, your questions, whatever it may be. Now, we are talking about suicide on this podcast. As the title suggests, we'll take that into account before or as you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today I am talking with Jeanette. Jeanette lives in Arizona, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Jeanette in Phoenix, Arizona, thank you for joining me. Appreciate it. Oh, of course. I just hope I can, maybe my story will resonate with other people and it might help them. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Well, come on. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Now let me ask you a question, if I may. What in the world are you thinking? Talking about suicide. You know that no one talks about this, right? I'm learning that. People are very uncomfortable. They don't like it at all. That's part of the reason it happens. You know, if you're if you can't be comfortable talking about it to especially those closest to you, even, how do they expect you to work through it? You know, and it's unfortunate. I haven't had not said anything to any of my family members, really to anyone in my whole life about it. You know, um, not even a counselor, because you say something to a counselor, you know what's going to happen. Yep. Even if you're not to that point and they're just like mild thoughts, you're, you get, they're calling on you and they're hauling you away. What kind of work do you do? I work in procurement for one of the biggest home builders in the U.S. You like it? Um, yeah. It's the one area of my life I can say I excel at. I'm successful. Mm. I enjoy it. I never hate going to work. Work is an escape from my regular life, I would say. Do you think if you hated your job, you wouldn't be here? Absolutely. You'd be done. Yeah. If I don't have something, I mean, there's got to be something. You need something, right? So you got eight hours a day of something that doesn't (laughs) suck and also 
pays you money. That's like a double whammy win. Exactly. Something that makes me feel needed. Like someone actually cares and they appreciate my existence. And that's the only place I feel that. That is one thing that that comes up, but not directly. I think we could talk more about generally speaking is the need to be needed. Mm -hmm. So fucking. Absolutely. I feel like tonight I'm going to curse more than usual. Just warning you. (laughs) That's okay. It's not at you. Sure. Yeah. How many suicide attempts do you have? Three, but I did not realize three. In fact, I completely blocked one out until this last episode. Just recently, like a month ago, I remembered it. It was really weird. Very strange. That's interesting. Because when this last incident happened and the time before, the time before, I didn't really consider a suicide attempt. And you can ask me questions about that. We'll get into that. But... This one is the one that I really can say it was. And when I looked back at the last one, they were just so different. I'm like, I don't understand how I got here. I'm not a suicidal person. I'm just not. And then recently I had memories of the time in my 20s and I was like, oh my gosh. But I never have been someone, I never sat around and contemplated suicide. In fact, it wasn't until, so my first attempt, yes, was in my 20s. It was kind of a drunken thing. And again, we'll get more into it. But the only time I ever had any sort of thought was about six months after finishing my cancer treatment. I also went through my second divorce around the same time. And I I found myself Googling how many Xanax I could take to kill myself. This is the first one. This was the second one. Second one. Remember the first one I didn't even remember till recently. So this was in the second one was in the the thoughts came in 2017. The second one came happened in 2019. But the first thought that I ever had not drinking alcohol was after cancer treatment. When I Googled that, how many Xanax can I take? Because I've had all, you know, all my adult life prescription for Xanax. I've never been a a Xanax abuser, though. Um, Like I could have a 30 day script that lasts me a year. Right. But through cancer, I was on it a lot more clearly, and I was using it for sleep. But I started Googling that and that I was very self aware. And I said, Wow, I need help. You know, so I saw therapy. And I found a counselor who specializes with cancer patients. And I did a year of therapy with her, and I was doing a lot better. And then I stopped and life circumstances changed. And then I had a lot of dysfunction in my life with with my boy's father and and my kids and a lot of verbal abuse to me and things like that. And that was in 2019. And that was time number two. Um, And even then at that time, though, I wasn't thinking about it, but all three times have involved alcohol. And that's a big thing why I wanted to come on here. Because I hear a lot of people on these things, not just yours, but any any podcast or Facebook groups saying, oh, can you drink on this medication? Or And people are like, oh, yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah, I do it all the time. Okay, yeah, I did too for 20 years. But all three times that I have made attempts, I have been intoxicated. So clearly, it does something. And I'm not saying it's necessarily an interaction with the meds or not. But if you're on that med, any med of those sort, we have something in our brains that's off. And then we're going to add a depressant in the mix. Alcohol is a depressant. And it interferes with the way these medications work. Like, it's just not a good idea. 
time number two, a lot of crap was going on, a lot of dysfunction, still obviously depressed from cancer. I don't know that that's ever going to go away, to be honest, right? Start questioning life ever since I had cancer. I just question life all the time. The purpose, what, why, right? One night I was drinking wine. I was actually working two jobs at the time, sitting there working from home, drinking wine on a Friday night. I was already burnt out because my boys were being verbally abusive. We were going to family therapy, all kinds of stuff. It was a bad situation. And I reached out to their father via text. And I had just said, you know, I really could use some help. Could you just take the boys for the weekend? I really need a break. I have raised them their whole life. He's not been present. He uh, is an alcoholic. He was verbally abusive, very toxic person. And I don't want to send them to him, but. I had no option. And I was like, could you just take them for a week? And I need a break from all this chaos. And his response was F off. Quit asking me to help with the boys. I've got my own personal shit going on in my life. I don't have time for that. Isn't it weird Yeah, (laughs) that the person you once married and married you and you had a child with or two is telling you to fuck off? Actually, it's not weird. And the reason I say that is part of my depression and the suicide attempt was Something in my mind, something is wrong with me that I picked someone like that. Okay. And I had children with someone like that. Something, what is wrong with me? And I've, I've married two people like that. So to, in my mind, it's all me. I'm a failure. Mm. I mean, sure. I know he's an alcoholic and he does drugs and he's this and he's that. Right. But still in the end, it was my decision. And he was always an asshole. I'm going to be honest. He really was. But I grew up in a dysfunctional environment and that's what I knew. So back, you know, it's just what it was. There were many times I wanted to leave. There were many times and I never did just think it would get better. It get better. So it's not surprising. It's upsetting, right. you know, very much so. But to all the ladies out there and perhaps guys, it usually doesn't get better. Nope. Somebody that you really knew and trusted and loved told that to you at 19, you would not listen. That's anybody. It's not just you, but it's the same for this stuff in some ways where I feel like sometimes we're talking words are words. I don't know if you're ready to hear it. You're ready to hear it. If you're not, you're not. Whether that's related to mental health stuff, suicide stuff, relationship stuff, kids stuff. It just, it's a tricky thing. Um, That is true. So now I stay single and we'll get into that later. (laughs) But um, so that night I asked him for the help. He told me F off, whatever. And I had was a bottle of wine in. Mind you, I'm not a heavy drinker. Like I was never someone that drank every day. It was more usually social. But when I would drink, I would drink too much. Like I never knew when enough was enough. That's always been me. I was recently diagnosed two weeks ago with ADHD and it all is making a lot of sense now. (laughs) So my whole life was, my whole adult life has been spent being diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and depression. Then it turned into major depressive disorder with anxiety with my last suicide and now also ADHD. And it does make sense, but so we're working on that. But that time, so when he did that, I was a bottle of wine in and that's usually, that's the max that I would drink, but that's a lot. I basically was like, F this. I just want to sleep. I want to check out. Yeah. So I Googled again, how many Xanax does it take to die? But my intent back then was not to die. It was how many can I get away with? Like how many can I do and not die? Like I, I want to be zombied out for the weekend yeah. and not deal with any bullshit. I just want to sleep and every, just everybody leave me alone. 
but I knew I'd been drinking. So I was trying to make sure I didn't take too many, right? It was stupid. But unfortunately, what happened was, Mm. I say, unfortunately, maybe fortunately, Mm -hmm. um, my boys were at like this city fair or something, and they weren't supposed to be home till a certain time. So my plan was to be asleep by the time they came home. Well, they came home early. So when they first got home and the meds hadn't kicked in yet, I took 18 Xanax plus the one bottle of wine. It hadn't kicked in yet. I was still working my computer. You know the exact number that you took. Yes. I even saved some so that I had some in the future. So someone that's trying to die, why would you do that? And my counselor at the time said, also believed I wasn't trying to kill myself because I took them and I was still working my second job. Like someone that's trying to like not be here wouldn't be caring about a second job, but you don't know, right? Uh, yeah, I've learned from doing this that, yeah, the things that you would think, well, if you're doing this, that means that doesn't always work. Yeah. Out. Yeah. So I knew when I took them, there was a chance that could happen. And I made the decision and said, well, let's just see what happens. Like I didn't care if it happened. If nothing happens, whatever. If you get to zombie out, whatever. And if maybe you die, fuck it, whatever. Yeah. Question I have, and I, this is a sensitive question. I want to frame it carefully. You got two boys. You raised them. My guess mm-hmm. is, and you'll tell me if I'm wrong, you really love them. Yes, absolutely. So, so and I want to be careful. Like, I'm legitimately, there's no judgment here at all. No, I know. What's it, what, what's it like to be rather ambivalent if you live or die, knowing, like, let's just keep it real here, knowing your boys yeah. are going to be affected. To me, what that says to me, and I might be wrong, is that's how much pain you're in. Right. A lot of people think how, how selfish that you would do that to your children thing. But in my mind, I'm thinking they're better off without me because Mm. all the decisions I've made, like I've Mm. said, I gave them a shitty father, right? I had to raise them by myself. They had to watch me go through cancer, how traumatizing, like everything would be better for them. They could, my sister and her husband are the guardians of my boys. If I were to pass when I had cancer, I'm like, they would be so much better to raise them. That was my thought process. Better off without me. You know, when I asked the question about myths, I think I have never actually analyzed all the conversations, the data, so to speak, but probably the idea that selfishness is, that is probably the number one thing people talk about, right? Yeah. And then I've had these conversations where people sort of go into detail about what they mean. And sometimes when they're talking about it, the very thing you're talking about here comes up. I thought I was legitimately doing them a favor. I was doing good for them. Their lives would be better. And I think, oh, that's not selfish at all. That's like the opposite of selfish. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe in hindsight, you were not correct, but at the time, and I don't know how everybody feels. Maybe there are people out there that don't give a fuck and they're like, I want out and I don't think about other people. I don't know. Maybe people are like that, but I think by and large, I think people think about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a reason why my second attempt when I did that, I timed it where I was supposed to be asleep before they even got home. And again, I didn't intend on dying that time. What happened was the pills kicked in and they came home early and I could, I was not, I was sitting in my chair working, not moving, like just like a dead. And my, my son at the time, 14, Mm. um, was like, mom, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, I just drank too much wine. And then pretty soon I couldn't talk at all, like slurring. And then it got worse and worse. 
Um, he called my mother who I lived in Omaha. We lived in Omaha at the time for a couple of years and she got on the phone and she's, and he's, she's like, what do you see? And he's like, I see her wine. I see her medicine bottle on the desk. Um, my mom said, call 911. So they did. They took me to the hospital. I don't remember any of that. The pills had kicked in by then. I don't remember the ambulance being there. Nothing, right? I woke, that was a Friday night. I woke up late Saturday afternoon in the hospital, but I did remember what happened when I woke up. I remembered what I did and why I was there at that time. I didn't have any serious complications. I wasn't, you know, didn't have to do charcoal or pump my stomach or anything like that. They said I was able to answer their questions when they brought me in. You know, I just needed to kind of like sleep it off. And I was obviously on suicide watch through the weekend. And then the psychiatrist came in Monday morning and asked me what had happened. And I told them all the layout. And they said they think it was just alcohol induced. They don't think I'm a danger. Did you agree? At the time I did. Because remember, I wasn't ever just sitting around thinking about killing it wasn't a thing for me. Some some people might say, well, sure, you, you weren't thinking about it every day, but you did it. And that's, we're not talking about you cutting or you driving over. You did something that could have killed yourself. Like that's, that's a little different. Oh yeah. Now looking back at that, I realized that. But right. in the moment I yeah. was like, oh, I was just drunk and stupid and emotional. Also at that time I had stopped taking my antidepressants Um, I was trying to try life without them. So there was that in the mix too. So I was kind of just like attributing it to that combination. So they sent me home. I mean, my kids were taken away from me for 30 days because that's the rule. They had to do a safety plan. When I was taken to the hospital, my family members that lived out there were actually in Arizona on vacation. So the kids had nobody. Their dad did live out there at the time. They couldn't get a hold of him, though, till like 4 a.m. He wouldn't answer the phone. After he texted me that, he turned his phone off. Hmm. So they ended up having to go to his home to get him. So they were at like a mission center for the night until they got him in the morning. Um, And then, of course, my family flew home the next morning. They got to change their flights and whatever. But to answer your question, looking back now, yes, I probably was trying to die. But I didn't realize that in the moment. I thought it was just a stupid thing. Oh, that's what I was telling you. They were taken away from me for 30 days. So when they are taken and there's nobody for them there physically, they do what's called a safety plan. And even if everything's okay, like I was deemed fine on Monday, the kids were not allowed to come back and live with me for 30 days. That safety plan, no matter what, has to stay in place for 30 days. So they gave them to their dad. And I, when they told me that, I laughed. I said, that's your safety plan? <laughs> you know, right. yeah, yeah. do you realize this guy used to be a police officer and lost his job because he went to jail for beating up a girlfriend? I mean, all kinds of other stuff he's done to my children, right? Like, this is not okay. He beat his girlfriend up. He is, in your words, an addict. Mm-hmm. You tried to kill yourself. You're the danger. I'm the danger. You're the danger. I didn't try to hurt anybody else. Right, but exactly. But no, 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 no. You're the danger. <laughs> Let's be really clear about this. This is what people want us to believe. God forbid you try to do something we deem as tempting to take your own life. We're going to fucking punish you there. And then when you're in the hospital getting help, and I've heard you talk about this and we'll probably touch on it. It's even worse Yeah, what they do to you. You know, like take your kids 
Like that's what they're the ones you need. You just try to kill yourself. Let's strip you of everything you have in your life. Um, so I had to fight. I had to give court records because I had taken their father to court several times over his alcoholism and I got his visitation taken away. You know, he's obviously a felon from domestic abuse. He lost his police job. I had to show them all this paperwork in order to change the safety plan where the boys could live with my sister for 30 days. And I was allowed to stay there. So what I did is I just stayed at her house. They just couldn't be unattended with me for 30 days. But yet no checks were made on me. They didn't require therapy. They didn't require psychiatry. I mean, I did that stuff on my own, clearly, because of what happened. But all they checked on me was when they did the safety plan, they went to my sister's house to ask her, are you okay with this? One time, ask the boys, are they comfortable being there? That's it. And no other communication. the rest. Right. Yep. So what what are you protecting? But yet they said, if I try to steer away from the safety plan and have them unattended, I would go to jail. So I just stayed at her house. Yeah, you're threatened. Look, I, everybody's got their own situation. And I, I can't say this applies to all people always, but you're right with respect to threatening, with respect to taking kids away and how you're treated in the hospital. You just wonder, like, who's making these decisions and why are they making those? You, know, you just wonder because they seem, in my experience, and it is rather limited because it is really limited to my own experience, people I know, people I've spoken to, it just seems so often so off. And you think, you wonder, why? Yeah, the system is really bad. It's it's messed up. So I, I don't know. I think I think and it's I think it's like that because the stigma of suicide or mental illness in general is so bad. They just think they just treat us can treat us like crap. You know, oh, they've got a mental illness. Who cares? As long as we're feeding them, you know, they have their basic necessities. We don't have to do anything else for them. That's just my opinion. And I just, so after that incident, I just kind of put it behind me. I was upset because my own son found me that way. So he was, you know, clearly upset. So then again, now I have another failure of my, to my children, right? Now I've, I, my whole life have never traumatized my children. Their dad has been the one to do that. Now they did have to watch me go through cancer. That was kind of tough, obviously, but intentionally, right. I've been their rock. And now I'm not perfect anymore. Right. So that was, there's a little bit of shame. I moved past it. And then the following year we moved back home to Arizona and I started therapy back up with my cancer therapist again. And I did another year with her. I did workbooks, all kinds of mindfulness, whatever. Mindfulness doesn't really work for me. I'm a high anxiety person. I have ADHD. I trying to meditate stresses me out. Right. Sounds ridiculous, but it does. So, no, I mean, it doesn't sound ridiculous at all. I get it. But she released me after a year. She said, you're doing great. She said, I'm not saying you don't need therapy. Everybody can benefit from it. But she was a free program through the local ho- cancer hospital here. So she felt my cancer issues had been addressed. And I now would progress to just a regular standard therapist. All right. So let's be clear here. When you have cancer... There are resources readily available for free, which is includes mental health related. Mm-hmm. When you try to kill yourself, not so much. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I can't even find it. Ever since my suicide attempt in January, I have yet to be able to find a counselor that will take new patients or anything. It's ridiculous. 
Man, all right, that is astounding. <laughs> Why am I surprised anymore? Just, I just want people to hear what happened right there. You have cancer, a lot of resources, including therapy, mm -hmm. cancer mm -hmm. therapy, other things related to cancer, and then you know the whole mental, physical all sort of blends into one big just a health yeah. thing. But when you try to end your life, fuck you. Let's not candy coat it. Let's not candy coat it. That's how I hear it. Absolutely. It's like they want to punish us. We did something wrong. So the way they look at it, I think, is, you know, cancer is cancer. You can't control it necessarily. But in their minds, hey, you did this to yourself. You try to kill yourself. You did that to yourself. Too bad for you. Don't want to touch it. That's that's how I see it. No, no. More than that. Fuck you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not 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 not, not just. All right. Well, you do you <laughs> and good luck. It's we're going to take your kids. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to have to really prove a lot of shit for us to give them back. I don't know if that's accurate in your case. Energy behind it. The intention behind it is, I think, and I know that I'm not necessarily representative of all, but I'm a jaded fucking bald guy in North Carolina. I know that. <laughs> Feels like, to boil it down to its sort of most rudimentary thing here, fuck you. For me, when I'd say it that way, everything else kind of makes sense. This happened, that happened, that happened. Oh, all right. Well, fuck you. Then it makes sense. Mm -hmm. you no. Know? All right. I'm going to do this thing where it's, it's, it gets tricky because trying to encapsulate an entire life into a small amount of time. So it's hard. Where did you, where are you, where did you grow up? San Diego. When you're growing up, kid, teenager in San Diego, are you ever ideating? However you define that. Never. I'm guessing, tell me if I'm wrong. It's not the perfect childhood or teenage years, but it was okay. Yeah, I had addict parents, but I, I was a good kid. I was a straight A student. Everything was fine. I was taken care of. But you had addict parents. Okay. Yeah, they were like functioning addicts. It was weird. Well, but, there's, a lot, yeah. there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. At some point between then and in your 20s, if I recall, there, there's a suicide attempt in your 20s, but we're not sure if it's actually a suicide attempt, right? No, that's the one it was. I have two. There was the first one and the third one were the second one. It wasn't my intent, but if it happened, I didn't care. So you're growing up in San Diego. Your parents are doing the best they can. They've got their own stuff. You're a, you're a smart kid. What happens? Where are you? Mm -hmm. And what is that day like where you have your first suicide attempt? What happens is I met the boy's father. He was in the military. And then he got stationed away from San Diego and I followed him. And so I left my family. Obviously, I had nobody. My friends were his Navy buddies, girlfriends, you know, and I didn't really like any of them. Um, the boy's father was a cheater. I always suspected it, but I was that girl, like never had proof, but always thought, but was told she was a crazy, insecure bitch, right? So I was unhappy and I went out with some of the girls. He he was gone a lot because he was in the Navy. So, you know, they go on six months at a time or two weeks at a time. Then they're back a few days, two weeks again. We lived in Northern California, Alameda. There was a, used to be a Navy base there. Yep. And then he's never there. And so I'm alone all the time. And when he is there, he's an asshole. He's verbally abusive. Like I said, he's cheating on me. He's doing all this, but I don't have proof. So he tells me I'm crazy. I drink one night. I go out with the girls one night while he's gone yep. on a two week thing on the ship. Mm -hmm. And I get into a fight with a girl in the club. She get, thinks that her guy's looking at me. It's something stupid. So I say, because when I drink, I'm not rational. I know many people aren't. 
And I say, fuck this, I'm leaving. And I decide I'm going to walk home by myself. Um, And I'm crying and I'm angry and I'm walking home in my 20s in a military. It's actually a very bad town. Actually, there's a base on there, but it's a very bad town. You'd never at that point thought in your life growing up that the possibility of ending my life is a thing that wasn't there. Never, ever, ever until that night. And I, I started walking home and actually some random strange Navy guy pulled up, saw I was all upset and like a stupid, I got in the car with him, but luckily he was a good guy. He just dropped me off. So thank goodness for that. But I proceed to go inside and I'm saying, fuck this. I don't want to be here. And I was drunk and I didn't even have, I probably didn't have medications that could even kill me. I took Tylenol and a prescription allergy medicine I used to have at the time. And I was drinking it with Coke because I'm not real good at taking pills. And I'm like trying to drink it. And what happened is we had a roommate at the time, not even roommate. She just broke up with her boyfriend, was temporarily staying with us. She had been at work and she came back. She didn't have a key yet because she just had started staying with us. And the front door was locked and I wasn't answering the door, I guess. And so she went around the back and my patio door was open. And she came in and found me and I was laying there um, crying and laying in my own vomit Mm. and saying I wanted to die. So that time, you know, she called an ambulance. I actually was taken to this time was kind of scary in my mind. Like if I'm going to a mental health facility, I'm thinking like things you see on TV, like the scary, like the asylums. Right. And I'm like, oh, my God. So but this first time I was kind of taken somewhere like that. It was extremely scary. And this was probably in like 1995. Um, Very scary. But I was there in a nightgown and socks. People were threatening me and like acting like I was somebody else. It was scary. But I was only there for six hours total. So I never even went to a regular. uh, No, I did. I went to a regular hospital and they gave me charcoal that time. And then they transferred me to the the psychiatric place. I don't even know where it was. I was there for six hours waiting to be evaluated. And they said, much like the second time, you don't belong here. This was just alcohol induced. You're fine. Sent me home. 1995. When I hear that, I think, no. (laughs) I, 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 I understand you hadn't thought that way before. I understand alcohol does fuck with people. But no, because some, a lot, most people, and I'm not like, I wouldn't have a podcast if I weren't on your side here, right? Most people don't try, don't overdose. I know. So my question for you, do you think, looking back, did you want to die in that, in that, that night? Gosh, I want to say yes. I mean, I, my maturity level obviously was not that great. I was 19 years old. So at that point, I obviously wouldn't have understood any type of the ramifications. But I think yes, because I had no children. My mom was in prison at that time, actually. My stepdad, they were functioning addicts, and then all kinds of hell went loose, which is one of the reasons I moved away with the boy's dad. And my mom went to prison, and he became more of an addict, lost his job, lost his house, you know, all this stuff. So there, though, I had nothing. I had nothing. a little brother and sister. I was like their mom too, kind of, because there's a huge mm-hmm. age difference with us. But I mean, I had moved away. So in my eyes, I had nothing. So I don't think, I think I probably did want to just be done. And then that night was over with. And I literally never 
that I remember had a thought of that again. In fact, I forgot about it till recently. Really blew my mind. Right. So when I hear that, it feels not a lot. There's something not connecting because Mm -hmm. in my mind, and I could be way wrong here, right? Doing this podcast just creates more questions for me than anything else. I don't have answers. I haven't figured shit out. People that want to kill themselves don't then just get better. Right. And again, there's nothing. I was not told to do anything. Nobody checked on me. At that time, I wasn't on antidepressants. I didn't get put on those till my oldest was diagnosed with autism. That's when I kind of lost everything. You know, like fell apart. But you're growing up. Things are mostly fine. Then you have this rocky thing. and And I'm obviously summarizing here somewhat. Sure. And then you try to end your life and then you go to the hospital, you get out. Years go by and it's okay. I mean, I'm not saying your life is amazing, but you don't try to kill yourself. You're not thinking about killing yourself. So I went from 1995 to 2017 with never having any kind of thought like that. Right. So over 20 years, are you in California? Are you in Arizona? Are you in Nebraska? I'm in Arizona. Yeah. Arizona's home now forever. Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be? I mean, come on. It's Arizona. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that time. So you, at some point during this time, you have children. The kids are both from the first husband. No kids with husband number two. And you're not with him now? No, I divorced him in 2015. You're from fine. 95 to 17, over 20 years, things okay? Things suck? No, things were absolutely terrible. But I think because my kids were so small at that time, like that, I honed in on that massive mom mode. There was a lot of court going on with their dad, with his you know, addictions and taking his visits away because at that time he was still a police officer in a small town. He knew the judges. It took me 10 months of going to court before I won just for that cancer and husband number two, just happening so close together, just broke me. All right. So when does cancer happen? So I divorced husband number two, summer of 2015 cancer happens fall of 2015. I did 10 months of treatment, stage three, triple negative breast cancer, um, it's a really aggressive form. So I like my survival rate is lower than normal. Like I don't want to call them normal breast cancer because they're all horrible, but usually you have like a 93% survival with that. If you do your treatment successfully, mine, I have a 50% survival for life. And I also have the cancer gene. So I'm very susceptible to getting all kinds of other cancers. So that weighs on you, you know, but right. So somebody who, even though it's more than two decades, try to end their life. And then you've got this diagnosis, which can kill you. Mm -hmm. I can still kill you, right? Even seven years later, that's still a thing. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. 50%. Now question, because you know, I I don't think this has come up much. Let me, let me back up for a sec. I've got a friend who will never end her life, but wishes she, you know, gets in a car accident. Hey, I want to get on a bus and it blows up. One, Mm -hmm. I don't have to do it Two, You know, it's a little bit of a martyr thing. I'm not like, the evil person who ended their life. I actually might even be a martyr or at least I didn't do it to myself. So when I think, like, I wonder like when you have cancer and it can take you, are you, you know, there's some people that at least they say, you know, I'm going to fight, fight, fight. Are you like, nah, fuck it. If it takes me, it takes me. So when I first got diagnosed, I wasn't going to do treatment, but it wasn't because I wanted to die at that time. I just know how horrible chemo is. And at the time though, I thought too, like, my boy's life is so shitty. They don't even have a dad and they just be better off, right? My mom can raise them, my sisters, whatever. I don't need to do chemo. And they, you know, of course, threw a fit. So I did chemo. 
Um, but yes, every night during chemo, I hoped that I didn't wake up the next morning. That was, though, I really want to say more due to the pain and agony, you know, of the disease and the treatment at the time. But it's funny you brought it up because what you said about your friend is very much how I am now. So after this third experience, which this is the really devastating one, um, not that they shouldn't all be, but I didn't take those other ones serious, right? Because nobody else did either. Cancer starts in 15, ends in quotes in 17. Yeah. Pretty much. 19 is suicide attempt number two, two. Mm-hmm. which is the weirdest one. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I still can't explain. Like you say, I probably was trying to do it, but maybe I was in denial. I don't I don't know. You beat cancer. Your kids are growing up. You've kind of dealt with a lot of bullshit. Sure, sure. Yeah. And you're in Arizona and you're in your 40s at this point. Uh huh. You're not a, like a super young spring chicken anymore. Nope. Sorry, I'm in your same category. I'm, not, I'm 48. I'm almost 50. So no, I, you're right. <laughs> you had the one attempt and then you beat cancer. And then you had this other thing, but we're not even, it's kind of murky. You're good to go, but it's not the case. So what happens? Obviously I have depression. Um, and yeah. I, again, their, their dad caused last year was causing a lot of problems again. and um, my. 20 year old son, he's now 20 autistic son moved Mm -hmm. out because he got his very first girlfriend pregnant, you know, and he's autistic. So like now he's trying to be a dad and it's just crazy. So obviously I was sad about that for, for him. I mean, I love my grandbaby. Don't get me wrong, but you know, and then my 17 year old really, and I try to say it's not his fault. Right. I, I really don't want to think it's his fault, but I can, absolutely say he is what pushed me over the edge that that on time number three and they were my boys were part of what pushed me over the edge on time number two so both of the time two and three the son that just left he's the one that found me both times so like i said it's not his fault but what he was doing was causing so much havoc in, in my mind and in my life that i couldn't cope i had been asking my psychiatrist for about a year if it was possible that my lexapro had stopped working because i'd been on it for 15 years and he's like well why do you ask and i'm like well i just I, I get overwhelmed and i'm crying and but then he says anyone that has the crap that was going on in my personal life at the time would be that way and that i'm fine so whatever right so that year, my son, my 17-year-old decided all of a sudden to just say, fuck you. He was a really good kid up until then. His goal all his life has wanted to be a sniper in the army. He was in ROTC, um, you know, in the high school when he first started high school. And then within a six-month time of that, he quit that. He got some friends that, like, got high on cough syrup. Then he got a friend that did pot. And lo and behold, now he's major pot smoker and the more he smoked the worse he got and he was having it in his vehicle so I was disciplining taking vehicles away you know doing the discipline stuff and eventually he just said f you you literally can do nothing about it and he stopped coming home he was became his father he was verbally abusing me he was drinking stealing alcohol from stores to get it just really bad. He drank one night on New Year's Eve and he actually had a breakdown in front of me over his father, which this has been building his whole life. So I saw him, he was in like utter devastation that night. And mind you, I don't approve of my kid drinking. Again, he basically just does whatever he wants because he knows I can't do anything. So 
I lost it. He dropped out of school. It just was really bad. And finally I'd had enough. He was verbally abusing me and I had enough. And I, I sent him to go live with his father. I said, call your dad and tell him he doesn't have a choice. You're packing a bag and you're going to live with him. If he doesn't take you, then I'm not going to stay here. I will run away. Me. I was going to leave my, my life. Wow. Because I can't kick him out at 17 years old legally. Right. So if his dad's not going to take him, what can I do? So he went to his dad's, but that broke my heart so badly that I would turn him over to such a bad person. That happened on a Thursday. My suicide attempt was Saturday of that week. That was January 29th this year, my oldest son's birthday. I did not realize that at the time. I know it was his birthday, but I didn't correlate that I was doing that on his birthday. Uh, again, involved alcohol. My best friend knew I'd been really down, but you know, she knew everything that was going on. She said, come over, let's do a barbecue. And okay, fine. So I go. And whenever we hang out, we drink excessively. Remember I told you, like, I don't drink all the time, but when I do, you know, I can get down. We drank like three pitchers of Cosmos, really drunk. Got a ride home from a, a guy I used to talk to last year. That was kind of random. He brought me home. I remember the drive home. I remember coming in and letting my puppy go to the bathroom. And I know he came inside with me. And at some point he left. I don't remember him leaving. All So from that time until I wake up in ICU on the ventilator, uh, I don't remember anything. I didn't know I did it. I didn't know why I did it. I didn't know who I was, but I'll get to that. So I do now, ha I have had flashbacks now. I get little pop-ins, which is mm -hmm. kind of interesting. They told me I might not ever remember it, but apparently, well, I know for a fact I took over 60 baclofen, which is a muscle relaxer, because I know I had 60 because the prescription I got was for 75 and I'd had it for two weeks and the whole bottle was gone. I also know I took at least 15 Xanax with that because I know I have, I, I keep track mm -hmm. like, because I'm worried about addiction because I've been married to two. So I would keep track of these different medications. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know I took that, the baclofen, I took the Xanax. Oh, also clonopin. I had clonopin. I don't have any clue how many of those I had a 90 day prescription. I just can't even remember if I've taken them or if I, I don't, I don't know. So I had, I also was tapering off a of Seroquel. I had been put on Seroquel for sleep a year ago. I literally, that was my last week of Seroquel. I had to do a slow liquid taper because I'm really sensitive to meds and I was having bad withdrawal from it. So I had all kinds of chemical crap going on. Anyways, all these different medications. I was having perfectly fun at her house though. Perfectly fun. Came home in a good mood. There are text messages on my phone after the guy supposedly left my house. We were joking, me and my friend. Apparently things started going downhill and I don't know why. I do know based on a text that I, I told my friend I was sitting there listening to love songs being like mushy. So I don't know if that triggered something in me. That's a, that's a Saturday night. I wake up on Monday in the ICU. I don't know what's the ICU. I don't know where I am. In fact, I think I'm kidnapped and being having medical experiments being done on me. It was very strange. Um, the way people were moving was all more very weird. And then they came in and they had the big masks on. Well, I don't even know anything who I even am. I thought like these people were crazy. I didn't know COVID. They were all wearing black and I'm scared to death. They're coming in and they're saying, um, we're going to try to take the tube out. Literally no idea what they're talking about. I'm looking at them. 
and try to speak, but obviously I can't. There's something in my throat, but I don't know that yet. I can't understand why I can't speak. I couldn't move. I, I didn't know what was going on. So I was scared to death. And this went on, I believe they said the span was probably a few hours, but it felt like eternity to me. And eventually, yeah. I guess they had put me on some sort of sedative because when someone's on a ventilator, if they wake up, they will, you know, try to pull it out or freak out. So they think that's why I was like that uh, because they didn't even give that to me till later because they had to make sure whatever was in my system kind of calmed down, you know, before giving me a sedative. But eventually, you know, I figured out he was talking about there was a tube in my throat because he said, you're ready to breathe on your own. And then that's when I said, holy shit, there's a tube in my throat. <laughs> you know, like that's what he's talking about. And I still don't understand why. And I still don't even know who I am. He was asking me to stick it out, take it out. And I kept trying to say die because I couldn't talk because he's like, why don't you want to take it out? And I was thinking, because I'll die if you take this out. <laughs> you know, it's, I need to breathe. And I was scared to death, but he finally talked me into getting it out. I'm still not making sense. I didn't know apparently when you're in a vendor, like they'll Velcro everything to the back of you. So when they go to take it out, they have their whole team and they're lifting me up and I hear them ripping the Velcro, but I don't know that's what it is. And I think there's some sort of device implanted in my head. Because remember, I think I've been kidnapped and I'm in some foreign place being experienced. It was scarier. Than crazy. Very traumatizing experience. So then he started asking me, do you know your name, your first name, your last name, the year, your date of birth? I knew nothing. I knew nothing at all. Nothing for hours and hours. And then finally, my first name popped in my head. But I didn't really know it was my name, but the name popped in my head. So I said it out loud. And he was like, yes, you're there. You're there. And then slowly things came, right? Um, I wasn't able to pick anything up. They thought I would probably have some severe brain damage. They weren't even sure if I was going to remember who I was, right? But I recovered, I mean, miraculously, they literally yeah. say that the physical therapist is like, I cannot believe, let alone you're here, but that you're like doing this because I was able to walk laps in the hospital the same day I woke up from the ICU in the afternoon with a walker. They made me use a walker, but they said, that's not typical. So, you know, then I got this whole God, you know, God wants you here. Clearly God wants you here. The ICU nurse is the one that told me what I did. And the reason they know what I did is my son's account. So here's what supposedly happened. Guy leaves. I don't know what's happening, but things are spiraling in my mind. I do have flashbacks and I found screenshots on my phone and you could see how the night was progressing. One was I had typed in, am I suicidal? And it had like symptoms of suicide. And I took a screenshot of that. There's also a screenshot of the Samaritan Center, like a crisis center a hotline phone number I saved. There, I went in my internet history. This is all mind you after the event. And I was had Googled if I could, like, is eating rat poison uh, painful? What poisons can I ingest to die without pain? I, I have a gun and I Googled what is the cleanest, uh, most reliable way to shoot yourself. I, at some point, it was like 10 p.m. I text my whole family. We have like a group thread and it said something like, I just want you guys to know that I'm really having a hard time right now. I'm very, very sad. And what I need is your support, not your criticism, because my family is very harsh. They're the type that make fun of you. That's how they show affection, kind of. I sent that and apparently my mother called me right away. And I don't remember that conversation. But she said to me, you're scaring me. Are you going to kill yourself? You mm. sound like you're going to kill yourself. And she said, I said to her, which is so crazy. I said, really, mom? 
if I wanted to kill myself, I would have done so already. I've got an arsenal of medications I could take. I've got a gun on my nightstand. If I was going to kill myself, I would have. And then apparently I hang up and I try to kill myself. So what happens next apparently is I start to call all the asshole men in my past. (laughs) I don't know why, but there were outgoing calls to some of them. I had sent a text to the boy's father, even the ass that he is. I apologize for failing as a mother. And I did my, I hope he knows I did my very best is what I said to him. And then I guess I proceeded to call my 17 year old, the one I kicked out and ask him if he could bring me some fentanyl. That's ridiculous. I've never even touched a drug like that. The hardest drug I've ever done is marijuana. I even have my medical card for the edibles because I don't want to like have it not, you know, properly. I asked him that and he said, mom, what's going on? Are you, are you trying to kill it? Like he knew, are you trying to kill yourself? And he said, I said, no, I just told him I'm really sad. Can you come home? So he did. And what I don't know is if he called the police on his way home or after he came home. But um, he said, you know, I was crying and out. He said, all I kept saying was I was so sad, so sad. I just want to be with God. And he said, I was standing at my bedside, just clinging to his waist, hugging him, crying. And he said, I kept begging him to lay down and just like cuddle with me, like when he was little and go to sleep. Like I told I kept telling him all I want is just go to sleep. Can you stay here tonight? Just go to sleep. I'm sad. And he said he wasn't going to do like something was wrong. He knew. And so he called the police at some point. And then next thing I know, the front door's bells ringing. And I'm like, what? He's like, well, I called the police. He says it was crazy because I was so distraught and hysterically crying. And then as soon as I answered the door, he's like, I just snapped out of it. And I acted totally normal and Mm. fine. Mm-hmm. But based on questions they were asking me, they figured out, right? And I apparently, I told them what I did, that I had taken pills. So they called ambulance. I don't know. Remember, I don't remember any of this. I'm told, my son says they took me out on the gurney and that I was sitting up and I was crying. And I said to my son, how could you do this? Now we're going to lose. Now I'm going to lose my job and our house. So that's still weird. Like I was trying to die, right? But then I was worried about now I'm going to lose the house. I end up in the local hospital on a regular, on the cancer floor, actually, kind of weird. It's just where they had a bed for me, I think. They go from ICU to the cancer floor. Um, I'm there for like four days and uh, on suicide watch. And I'm really sick. I was sick before I even, this happened. I was really sick. I'm really sick. It's just, it was a horrible event in the hospital. But they told me kind of same thing. They said, well, probably what's going to happen is the psychiatrist is going to come on Wednesday. And just determine, you know, this was probably an alcohol incident and send you home. So I'm still thinking that I'm going home. I email my boss and tell her, hey, I'm really sick. I'm going to be out a few days. I'll be back Thursday. Like I'm already planning to go back to work, you know, and I mean, it was just in the ICU on a ventilator. So the lady comes on Wednesday, but she's not a psychiatrist. She's some sort of behavioral counselor or something. I can't remember her exact title. But I say, so she's asked me about it and I'm telling her and then I'm like, yeah, I go to work on Thursday. And she's like, you're not going to work. And I'm like, well, she goes, you're not going home. And I said, what do you mean? I'm not going home. She goes, I cannot in good conscience send you home in this condition. She goes, do you understand? You really should be dead. Like the amount that you ingested along with alcohol, like you should be dead. I'm not sending you home. So she says, you're going to go to level one inpatient. I didn't know what that meant. I asked her and here's where I've heard you mention this before. The biggest bullshit I've ever experienced in my life is level one treatment. 
at least where I went. And that is because she tells me that it's going to be this amazing facility for me, that I'm going to get intensive therapy, medication management. They're going to fix me. They're going to figure it out. Right. And I said, well, how long would I be there? She said, probably about three days in your situation. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't really, I'm just going to go home. And she goes, well, there's voluntary and involuntary. I said, what do you mean? She goes, if you don't go voluntarily, I will petition the court and the police will take you. And I was like, okay, well then I guess I'm going, you know, <laughs> I've never been in trouble in my life. I was like, oh, what? So uh, I went, it was a joke. You get no therapy. They have group therapy four times a day and you color. Yeah. They treat you like you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. All you do in there is eat, watch TV and color. Yeah. You see the psychiatrist max two minutes per day. If yeah. you're lucky every day right. you're there. Right. Um, all they do is chart how much you eat. Things they hear you say, how much you drink, how much you sleep, you know, there's watching you like a magnifying glass, which I get that part for safety, right? But they offer absolutely no help. In fact, when you're in a place like that, you quickly learn to just do what they say or you're not going to get out. Right. So they walk around all day and ask, are you having suicidal thoughts? Are you having homicidal thoughts? What's your mood today? You know, all that stuff. And I'm like, does anybody ever really tell them, oh, yes, actually, I am. Can you keep me longer? Right. Right. I, I just don't know. So she switches my medication. She says, absolutely, it wasn't working. And then she changes me to major depressive disorder. And she says, I will have this my entire life and need to take medication my entire life. And then she sends you on your way. And then the lady puts me on a medication that is processed in the body, the exact same enzyme that Lexapro is which you don't typically do that. So it was just, it was just a bunch of BS. So I had to change med when I got out anyway. I'm with a new psychiatrist because clearly my first one wasn't, wasn't listening the whole year. I kept saying, could my Lexapro not be working anymore? Like something's wrong, right? It was just a joke. I haven't got the bill for the behavioral health center, but if there's anything I learned from being in that center, all it, the only benefit I took from there was, wow, there's a lot of people in here like me. And for that one week, I was in there seven days. For that one week I was in there, I didn't feel alone. And I didn't feel crazy. Mm. I felt understood mm -hmm. by my peers. That's the only positive, positive thing I've taken from the whole experience. Other than that, it was a waste of my time. You're treated like a child. They don't offer you any help. And if you do speak up and ask for help, their answer is, you're not doing well on your medication. It's good. They gaslight the fucking shit out of you. They gaslight the shit yeah. out of you. So I just did what I needed to do and came home and went right back to work. Um, so I was gone a total of two weeks between both hospitals, right? Took a short-term leave, went right back to work, continued on, got promoted, you know, again, in my good area of my life. Uh, my son is still the same. He is living back home. But that was he would does not accept rules, which I've realized it doesn't even matter if I give him because he doesn't adhere to them no matter what. Right. Um, I had taken the car away. His dad took that over, but gave it to him. So I'm functioning right now, like not as his mother, like he's gone out of state to visit his younger girlfriend by himself and stayed in hotels, paid for them himself. She was just here, stayed at my house, um, which I don't approve of. He's a teenager. Oh, wait, how old is she? She just turned 16. So that's going to be a problem if they're still dating in December when he turns 18. Had that conversation too. 
So there's, there's a lot. He's still giving me trouble. He like just two days ago, he called me, he got mad at me, called me a dickhead. And when I told him, remember the conditions of you coming back were for you not to speak to me with just don't be disrespectful. I mean, he's done good since he came home in February. But in what he said, his response to that goes, Oh, what are you going to do about it? Miss ADHD, kick me out to dad's and try to kill yourself again. That's what he yeah. said. Mm, okay. And yeah. here, then that brings us to where we are today. Okay. <laughs> right. Besides your question. What tempted you? What compelled you to put suicide into Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen? Oh, yeah. I've heard you ask this before. I love people's answers. A lot of them say, I just typed in suicide. And I did. I did. That's what I did. But why did I do that? And it was, I still don't fully understand what has happened to me and why. And since I don't remember all of it, that's even scarier. Yeah. And I just wanted to see what I could learn. And it ended up be the podcast ended up being something totally different than I expected. It was more relatable, you know, instead of it's not a podcast about the topic suicide, right? It's not like an informative type that you'd you'd punch in to to get statistics or, you know, a typical news. This is like real life shit that people have gone through, it runs a gamut of everything. You know, there are people that are more, I want to say mild than my situation, more severe, you know, yeah. that's why I say in the hospital, I learned there are people like me, but I also learned, holy shit, I actually have it pretty good in comparison to some, you know? And so then you look at it like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be happy with that? And I'm still not, I am still, and I didn't realize I am, but I am very much like your friend you mentioned, I'm not trying to kill myself right now. That experience has scared the shit out of me. being on a ventilator and thinking you're kidnapped is pretty intense shit. Right. But I don't care if I die, you know, like right. I don't care if cancer comes back. In fact, sometimes I hope it does because like you said, then it's doing it to me. I'm not doing it. I'm not the bad. guy. You think you're making it to 50 years old to 50? Um, Yeah. As far as me not doing it myself, I could get cancer again tomorrow. Who knows? If you were to say 60, though, I can't confidently say yes. And I can't say no. Like I said, that experience did scare the crap out of me. The thought, I know I wasn't dead. I was in a coma for two days. But to me, that's dead. Like, I don't remember it. I wasn't existing. So in my mind, I feel like I was dead for two days. And that is kind of scary and not scary in the sense of, oh, what would my kids do without me? Because remember, I think they'd be better off anyways. They don't, they're not very nice to me. Just being not present on this earth, like not existing. That was a scary thought to think about, even though I've accepted that happening. Once I felt like that happened and wow, I wasn't here. Like I literally was not present in this world. Yeah. And that that's scary. So I think that that thought, and it's gonna sound funny, my dogs are pretty big factors of what like my dog got really sick while I was gone. He was so stressed out. I'm like, wow, my dog needs me. Kid don't, but my dog, you know. So just crazy things like that. But I do I do still, even though it scared me, sometimes I do wish it just worked. That you had died. You know. Because once they find, they told me what I did and I started remembering who I was and what my life is like, I thought, what the F? And then when they said I was probably going to have a lot of brain damage, I, my thought was, gee, thanks, guys. I wanted to die. 
You saved me against my wishes. Right. And because you did that, now I'm going to be brain damaged and won't be able to work or won't be, you know, I would, I had a moment of anger, but for right now, I'm glad I survived. I'm glad I'm here, but it doesn't mean I want to stay. If I got in an accident, I'm afraid of the pain of like the injury. That's probably why I do the pills yeah. and I didn't shoot myself mm-hmm. because I had a gun right, right. next to me, yeah. literally. So I still don't see any purpose in my life. I don't understand like what's the point i just go to work and i take care of my dogs and i pay the bills and i deal with everybody else's bullshit and i'm unhappy but i'm doing it i'm doing it because i know it's not the killing myself is not the right thing to do now i'm not making that judgment i'm saying that's the stigma of it i don't think anything's wrong with it and when i say that i don't mean everybody should kill themselves please what i mean by that is it's nobody else's business to decide if it's right or wrong like you said if we are in that frame of mind we are in so much pain that we cannot take it anymore Mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with if we're doing something right or wrong it has to do with ending the misery and that's it how many people in the world other than hospital staff and your sons, because you've mentioned both, know about your attempts? Uh, the first one, very few. Mm-hmm. Actually, just the boy's dad and now my mother, okay. I recently told her. The second one, I still don't admit that it was a suicide. Remember, I'm kind of shady. So whatever. Nobody. I yep. think they think it was and they just don't believe me, but it's fine. This one, a lot of people actually know. All of my family knows. Obviously, my sons. I know my sons have told some of their friends, which is kind of embarrassing, but whatever. My neighbors know because their daughter's friends with my son and they saw the fire trucks and the ambulance. So I did lose my best friend due to this because I was at her house drinking. She decided to turn it into she was going to tell me what I was allowed and not allowed to do and talked all kinds of crap about me to my mom. And but then was like, oh, your family. And oh, but, you know, I'm having a hard time with the suicide thing because it says in the Bible, blah, blah, blah. It's against my faith. And I was like, well, thank you. So I guess we're ending our friendship. She goes, I'm not. I'm just upset and I need time away. And my response was. (laughs) I said, okay, you can have all the time you want because what what someone that tried to kill themselves doesn't need is someone that's not sure they care about them enough to stay and help them. Mm. And we're not friends anymore. Some of my coworkers know, not all of them. I didn't do this anonymously because I don't care if anybody happens to know. I'm not a private person. The only reason I don't tell more people is I'm ashamed. Right. You know, I, I carry a lot of shame and guilt with it. Right. Um, I, I don't forgive myself for it, even though you're supposed to. So that's why I came on here. Because now, in my eyes, I've told hundreds of people. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Thousands, thousands. Dude, we're at 10,000 a month, dude. Yeah. We're not hundreds. We're at thousands. I've been busting <laughs> my ass to get to thousands. It ain't fucking hundreds here, Jeanette. Come on. Wow, we're famous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I know there are people like me. Some people are more, you know, they ideate all their life or every day. I wasn't that person and still I'm not. However, I know there are other people like me that are like that. Think, oh, I just was drinking and that happened. It's okay. I mean, how many times does that have to happen to me for me to be like, there's a problem and finally accept I'm a suicidal person. I, in general, I may not ideate all the time, but I've tried to do it three times. 
You're in the club, kid. I am. Yeah. I had to accept it. This is me accepting that about myself. Am I ashamed? Yes, but I'm not so ashamed that I won't share my story in the hopes that someone else can relate and go like, oh, maybe I have, maybe I need to get help. Because I'm sure you have people go on your podcast that type in suicide, not because they're wanting to learn, like in my case, but because they're thinking about suicide. Definitely. You know, they might have Googled that to find ways to do it for all we know. But everybody has a different reason. And I know there's people on there that are in my shoes. Yeah. And you're right. There's a lot of different reasons. How many people do you have in your life right now that you can talk to? Right now, if you call them up, be like, I'm having a tough day. Zero. They would all think I could. Mm, So you don't have anybody to talk to? No. It used to be the friend that we're no longer friends with. I would have had her. Yeah. So no. And I can't find a therapist. I found my son a therapist, but not me. I have absolutely no data on this, but I, I really think if you wanted to do some sort of like research about this, just to be super clear here, I'm not a counselor, yeah. I'm not a scientist, yeah. I don't shit. The number one indicator for someone trying again is having no one to talk to. I might not be right. Yeah. Not having someone to talk. I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a scare tactic because you're a grown up. No, yeah. Right. I know. It's like fucking, yeah. it's a big deal though. Yeah, it is. Us talking for an hour or an hour and a half is not is not a game changer for you. I hope it <laughs> might help a little right. bit, feel a little bit less shitty, but I'm not yeah. foolish enough to think, oh yeah, I know she came on the podcast. Her life's wonderful now. Like no. she's good. Yeah. Right. No, I, I'm definitely not good. I'm just going through the motions. You're confident you're making it to 50, and then we'll see what happens. Then. Yes. Yep. You're very confident that, and then when this comes out in the next couple months, you'll be alive to hear it. Yeah, I might have ran away to Mexico and be running a taco stand, but I'll be alive. <laughs> I, like the, I like the sound of that. That's my dream. No other problem. Just run a taco stand on the beach. Uh, the only other question I have, it kind of came up, but you know, if you've heard the podcast, you might have heard this question. Are there any specific myths that you want to dispel? Well, we already talked about the selfishness. Right. Part. So obviously that's a big one. It's funny you ask because I had one the other day and I was like, yeah, this one. But A lot of it would be kind of like what you said, uh, that people think you go in the hospital or whatever, and then you're good. There's nothing else there for you. The biggest myth is for everyone listening, just because we lived and we're here and we say, sure, we'll make it to 50. That does not mean we're okay. Everybody just thinks you're okay. I'm not okay. I'm sad still, just utterly sad all the time. Um, But I present as a happy person. Don't just assume that someone's okay because they do. They're not okay. We no. can't just go in a hospital for seven days and literally get no help there, but you're just being babysat. And then you come home and you're okay now. They don't have to worry about you. To assume, and of course, not everybody's this way, but there are far too many. Yeah. Uh, so I was in the unit for a week and they changed this med to that med. Things are okay. Like, you got to yeah. be fucking kidding me. Really? Do you believe that? Or are you just not giving a shit? Like, I don't get it. Come on. Yeah. I want to call out those people. Not that they're listening to this. Not that they give a shit what I think. But I'm like, yo, you know, you're part of the problem. I don't know. the. I, none of this is easy. But your inability to sort of be real about it is a problem. And then they don't even check on you. You're in a hospital for seven days for trying to kill yourself. And not once did I ever receive like, you think you'd get one follow-up phone call from a hospital visit? If you go in and have a hysterectomy, in fact, this happened to me, I got a follow-up call from the hospital like the following week to check in on how I was doing. Right. 
but yet I try to kill myself. That establishment, not one person that was involved in any of those facilities I was in. Mm-hmm. I've had zero follow-up. Right. Do you agree with me? This is a little bit of a loaded question or it could be any number of things. Like they don't know what to do. They misunderstand the situation. Right. They need more. But do you, is it fair to say that for some of them, I don't think they care if you kill yourself. Just don't do it on <laughs> our watch. Absolutely. Like, I mm-hmm. think people will hear that. Should they happen to be listening to this? And it's unlikely. They'd be like, Sean, you're crazy. That's like borderline conspiratorial. You're losing it. You're par- whatever. I don't think it is. I think it's actually yeah. somewhat valid. I, I really do. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm way wrong. I don't, I don't mind. I want people. I always say to people, very few people reach out to me other than sometimes like yourself. Hey, I want to be on the show. Great. Yeah. No one gives me feedback. I get a few reviews here and there. I want people. Tell me what you think. I, want, I don't mind if people email me or message me thinking I'm an absolute loony. I don't mind. Yeah. I mean, you, can, you can hate me. I just want to hear what you think. It is. I mean, it's it's totally apparent when you're there. They're just there for the paycheck. That doesn't mean all of them, but like you said, some. Every once in a while, you get like a nurse that you, like my ICU nurse, I sent him a thank you card. Right, right. Because he was, you could tell he cares about people in general. He cared that I was there and was encouraging to me and you know where that's the only one the rest i mean check the box on the clipboard is she here yep she's suicidal okay right it's tricky because i think i think some people not all but some people get in get into that field for the right reasons they want to help yeah i think sometimes the all the long list of things that make it super hard just jade them so i'll give them a little bit a little bit of a like latitude but at some point Mm -hmm. i don't give a shit what your reasons are like, quit, get another job. You're in the wrong job. If you're an asshole and you're treating people in pain and you're not helping them, go to get it. Sorry. Look for another job. At some point, do something else. You're in the wrong fucking job. You're doing damage. There's another part of it. Thinks they have a family. They need it. They need money to eat food. They're going to their job, doing the best they can. It's right. It's tricky. Yep. It depends on what mood we're in, too. <laughs> Do we want to give them grace that day or not? Right. You know, but there are some good ones. I acknowledge that there are maybe one percent good. In my experience, I've had two experiences in hospitals. The second one, the more recent one, was much more. I don't know, affected me. Even like both then and then after, and it's been a few years now. Like as I've reflected, I've thought, I've tried to really think, like what did they do right and what did they do wrong, and I don't always know their intention, their resources. There's like, you know, there's reasons why things are done, but I thought Mm -hmm. you are doing, you got and are doing so much by almost anybody's standards that is wrong. Like, oh, and they might say, well, what you don't understand. And I'm like, sure. There's definitely things I don't understand. I'll give you that. But at some point that argument is just like absurd. Like you don't treat people that way. There's a line that you just keep, crossing over and over and over and over it's like we're not we're not changing anything here with this conversation though (laughs) no clearly not what else would you like to add Jeanette in Arizona um that's it like thank you for letting me share my story and it's a good podcast awesome I appreciate you being here and talking and listening yes thank you you too and I'm glad you're alive thank you I'm glad you're alive (laughs) thank you very much (laughs) 
I mean, I say that only if you want to be alive. That's how I roll. And I think it sounds like you kind of do ish ish. Kind of do ish. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You know, we can be in the ish space. Yeah. Doing what you're doing. I hope your boys are okay and your dogs are okay. <laughs> Feel okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Jeanette out in Arizona. Thank you, Jeanette. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And you can follow a link in the show notes if you'd like to leave us a recorded message. You'll also find a couple links in the show notes where you can help us out with a financial contribution as we try to expand the reach of this podcast to help more people feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. That is all for episode number 122. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.